When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Be sure to follow all of our Fish Stripes coverage wherever you can get it. Of course, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods to get my official show, Fish Traps Unfiltered, a new one coming up this weekend. And throughout the week, we have our small pods with Andrew Werdahl and Daniel Rodriguez. On social media, you can find us at Fish Stripes on Twitter, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. We are getting close to my 1,000 subscriber goal on YouTube. If everybody that subscribes to the pod right here just does the same thing on YouTube where we have some exclusive content that you won't get here on the pod, then that'd be perfect. That would get us to that milestone, help us out, and go ahead and do that as well. Of course, all the content, all the time, leads back to fishstripes.com. That's the mothership. Go bookmark it. Go check it out throughout the season, even during off days like today where I'm recording this, even during the off season as well. We are all about the Marlins all the time. The one thing that I haven't really done at length is discuss what I'm seeing from the Marlins minor league system so far in this 2022 season. I weave them into all the Monday official shows, naming my prospects of the week, and we work it into almost all of the live streams on Fish Stripes Live as well. But I wanted to take, what, probably half an hour or so just to 
ramble, if you will, but hopefully in a useful way about what I'm seeing from Marlins prospects. We are just past the one quarter mark of the minor league season. This year, the minor league season started right about the same time as the major league one, and it's not quite as long, but it's actually longer than um, it was certainly in 2021. So the sample sizes to this point are already pretty substantial. And coming off what was a pretty normal 2021 season, this is a lot of fun. This is the time where you could draw some more useful conclusions, I believe, from these players than you could during the 2021 season, which came on the heels, of course, of the canceled 2020 minor league season due to COVID. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Anyway, so here we are. Uh, COVID is not completely out of the picture. In fact, one of the Marlins affiliates had a game postponed due to health and safety protocols. Uh, nonetheless, I feel that we have gleaned so much useful information enough that I was able to update my Marlins top 30 prospects list at Fish Stripes. I put it up originally on April 5th, and I keep a private look as well. I updated for my own purposes internally how I feel about the top 30 prospects, and I go deeper than that as well. I have some just mists. If you want to be honest, I probably keep almost every single minor leaguer in the Marlins farm system I have ranked in an arbitrary way. And the reality is that once you get deep enough, far past 30 to 50, you get to a point where it is really just um, splitting hairs between these players. Even during, even for a high-quality farm system, and I would say that the Marlins farm system is certainly above average relative to the others in Major League Baseball at this moment, with a nice draft class potentially on deck as well, uh, th- those only go so far. There's only so many players in this farm system that realistically are going to be viable big league players, anything more than replacement-level players. And the reason why 30 is such a popular cutoff is that I think you could look at probably 30 guys in this farm system right now that should be or have a good chance to be better than replacement level players at the big league level. They have a chance to be somebody, to play a part either with the the Marlins or with another team. So my updates, almost everybody moved a little bit on this list. You'll be able to see the other one. I'm keeping it pinned on the Fish Stripes homepage to make it easy to find. You could also go to fishstripes.com slash prospects for a, a specific section where we focus on the prospects and it's even easier to find that all year long where I stand on the top 30. The one that was easiest is the top spot Yuri Perez keeping him at number one. He solidified himself as number one to this early point in the year getting what we thought was an exceptionally aggressive move to go up to double A to start the season to make his double A debut before his 19th birthday uh, the Even though the ERA is still bloated, the peripherals look even better than his outstanding 2021 season. Strikeout rate is up. Ground ball rate is up. He's looking, he's looking spectacular. Throwing harder than he was before, adding a new slider as well. So what I feel I've done differently with my prospect list compared to others is I wanted to include game footage of just about everybody. A mix of game footage. In a few cases, I just use 
uh, silly GIFs, GIFs as well. Um, but for the most part, game footage, in case you're not able to watch the games on a consistent basis, to get a better idea of what these young players are capable of. So in the case of Yuri, in the case of Max Meyer, my number two guy, you can go to them, their pages and actually see each of their individual pitches and understand what they're trying to accomplish on the mound. I split up my top 30 in tiers as well. Keep it to about six tiers, and there could be some flexibility moving forward. I feel at this moment that there are six distinct tiers of Marlins prospects. It relates closely to what they do at Fangraphs in terms of future value, where you weigh all the factors together when evaluating uh, these players. What I mean by that is, of course, their ceiling, you know, the realistic best-case scenario for their careers, their floor on the other end, the injury risk, the position they play, the room for developments, ability to adjust, and intangibles. Mix that all together and come up with, it doesn't have to be purely scientific, uh, a little art to it as well, with bundling it down to the probabilities of those various outcomes. And when and once you put it all together, exactly how valuable that player should be, how much they are, quote, worth um, as an asset, and I hate to assign that title to a player, re- the reality is that's kind of what prospects are treated as in professional baseball, trying to weigh how much, how likely they are to succeed with you and whether that's worth actually moving them for a more proven commodity at a certain time. So with that said, one other factor I put in there is the player's roster status, if you will, or you know exactly how many minor league options they have left, what position, where they stand on the depth chart in the Marlins organization right now. These things that are frankly out of their control can have a large role in whether or not they are ultimately successful in the majors. What we're trying to do is you know, project how much major league value they're going to produce during their careers. And that stuff is not all about talent. There are so many of these miscellaneous factors that go into it as well. I already mentioned Yuri. He is not only the top prospect in the Marlins system, but I do believe he is a tier on his own, that there is a pretty significant gap between him and his potential and everybody else in this farm system. Ready to deal the one-two to Aguilar and the pitch. Check swing. Got him. One-two on the way to Anthony Mulrine. And the pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. 98. Going back to Fangraphs, on a 20 to 80 scouting scale, they try to come up with a single future value value number, where 50 is an average starting player at the major league level. And, of course, 80 is the Mike Trouts of the world. And the 20s are the Isan Diaz's of the world. You can never really see that coming with a player, but that's kind of what I mean in terms of somebody that actually hurts the team as well. And I believe the Marlins at this time have, it's a top 30 list. I would say about 36 players in this organization are a 40 or higher, where I I can see them being something more than replacement level players. And they are they're more beyond that that are worth focusing on in terms of the ones worth prioritizing at the moment. And this thing is pretty fluid. That's kind of where I was at, right? I narrowed it down to about 36, and I included the six last men out in the write-up on fishstripes.com as well uh, if you're interested. I have Yuri in his own tier. I feel that his future value is 
it's like a high 55. Maybe you could look at it as a 60, as a firm above average major league player. Where the ceiling, the best case scenario, is obviously higher than that with how complete he is as a pitcher and all the just everything he has working in his favor, how unique he is, frankly, among current major league pitchers. He could be a perennial all-star and uh, the best pitcher that the Marlins have had since Jose Fernandez. That's not an exaggeration. Uh, There's also, of course, the, the, the risk involved with that with any pitcher. That's something that I wrestle with, understanding the way that baseball is handled, the workloads that players receive, Position players at their finest are going to be more important to your team than any individual pitcher. Pitchers just do not have the freedom to work as many innings as they used to. They are handled very carefully because of that. They just aren't quite, one, they're not as predictable one year after another. And even at their very best, they don't alter the direction of your franchise quite as much as they used to. That being said, at this time, I still think the very top of this Marlins system is pitching heavy. And so that speaks to how well they are developing these pitchers and also how there's still something more they need to do in terms of getting the most out of their position player talent. Yuri, number one, I also have Max in his own tier as well. So I don't think this is going to be typical moving forward with this farm system to have both those players in their own tier. But I think Max is the one other guy in this farm system that is notably above an average player if I'm projecting forward. I think his future value is above a 50, a high 50, maybe a 55, uh, despite what he's done the last two outings coming into this ranking um, at the minor league level. That has been well publicized is how much he's struggled in those two outings. Um, It does not really alter my evaluation of him at this time. I think you can see how how much he has improved even since last season despite the overall stats. He's throwing harder, his changeup is better, his slider is exactly what's supposed to be, and he does so many of the little things that I absolutely love, controlling the running game, fielding his position, getting efficient outs, um, understanding that balance between wanting to strike everybody out and wanting to work deep into games. So we've seen him work deep into games. We've seen him work on four days rest, on regular rest at AAA, even though he didn't get much of an opportunity to do that the year before. Um, so that's enough on the on the top end. From here, I'm just going to bounce around to some of the other notable movers that I had in my top 30. The next tier was Khalil Watson, the infielder, top draft pick last year, along with Edward Cabrera and the outfielders, the college outfielders from 2019 who are finally knocking on the door to the big leagues, Peyton Burdick and J.J. Bleday. I moved Burdick ahead of Bleday uh, for, for the first time uh, this year, and you could read up on why. The rest of the list, going to tiers four and below, um, I didn't really write out my thoughts, and that's kind of why I'm recording the podcast, is to focus on uh, some of these other guys that are very notable and can be can really be huge pieces of the future, even if they're not at the very top of the list. I still have Jake Eater at number seven, the left-hander from the 2020 draft, who is missing all this year due to Tommy John surgery. What he did at AA in 2021 was absolutely mind-blowing in his professional debut. And with Tommy John surgery, fortunately, um, it's a little bit more predictable to project to look at the recovery. And it's 
safer to assume that a player that undergoes Tommy John will come out on the other side and be either a similar version of themselves or in some cases actually a little bit better if they spend all that downtime focusing on the right things. He's followed by Jose Salas and Ian Lewis. Um, yeah, Ian Lewis is one to watch because he finally got into some games recently earlier this month after staying back at extended spring training, and his numbers are off the charts. So first career to this point, he's hitting like 340 or something around there for a 19-year-old switch-hitting infielder. Um, he, he has really high upside. It's just that we need more of a sample before going really overboard. That's somebody that I feel has a lot of helium to him. Uh, what else do we have in here? So my criteria for ranking prospects is a little bit different than everybody else's. So I still have Lewin Diaz as prospect eligible at number 11. That's something that's explained in the intro on Fish Stripes because the standard that the industry uses is 50 innings pitched in the major leagues or 130 at-bats for position players to graduate from prospect eligibility. And I just feel that's kind of an archaic definition that we should standardize it for both position players and pitchers. The magic number that I use is 200 for batters faced or for plate appearances. So in, in most cases, that actually means these guys stay prospect eligible a little longer than the normal system does. Um, and that's, you know, so that's my choice. That's something to keep in mind. So for Lewin, uh, the way that the team has been handling him, you know, I'm as frustrated as anybody is about that and why they didn't make arrangements to have him in a semi-everyday role entering this season and instead have now had him in the big leagues for exactly one day to this point in the season. Nothing left to prove down in the minor leagues, but I did have to move him down for, just for, this is keeping in mind the factors out of a player's control that he is unlikely to get significant playing time in the majors, uh, at least for the next couple months, and that they're using his final minor league option year for Leyland here in 2022, which means that moving forward, it's it puts him in a position where there's more pressure to perform. He's not going to have that luxury of an option to fall back on. You know, they won't be able to send him down uh, to the minors uh, in a future season if without if, you know, he's struggling. And that is sometimes a necessary thing to get the best out of a player. But the way that they've handled him, I think it certainly hurts. That The bottom line is, I think it hurts his likelihood of success. It's disappointing. So I've, I've had him pretty consistently in the past as somewhere between number seven and number nine prospect in the organization, even with a lot of graduations, um, in recent years for this Marlins organization, I have him moving down the list um, because the longer they keep him down um, and he continues to do the same things, it's not a limitless clock that you have to prove yourself, especially at a position like first base. And then the next one in that area that I want to touch on is Sixto Sanchez, who you know I've, I've been extremely high on in the past before his injury and even early after his shoulder injury in 2021. So he's now, at this point, 14 months removed from facing live hitters, and he still has a ways to go before he's able to do that again. But I, I you know, kept him on the list, at least in the top 30, um, because 
he has made some progress with his throwing program. Most recent report up to 90 feet, which is something that he didn't reach last year prior to undergoing his surgery. So they're, they're being very methodical. As is the case with Leywin, they are, you know, the clock is ticking. This is his final option year as well. So when Sixto comes back, whether it's towards the end of this season or in 2023, it's just... He is in an uncomfortable position. They're not prioritizing him. They're not making him a priority for this organization, even though they were just a couple of years ago. And with him obviously coming off this injury, I needed to dock him for that. It's different than Tommy John. It's not as routine when they go inside the shoulder and repair a tear there. As we've seen with his recovery, it has taken longer than a typical Tommy John would recover the expectation of all his stuff coming back to what it used to be, that's no guarantee either. It is far from a guarantee that Sixto is sitting 98-99 with his fastball velocity on the other side of the shoulder injury. I still think that the upside and all the all these traits that he has as a starting pitcher are, give him a nice upside. That Not many players in this organization have the upside of Sixto. If he does put it back together, and if everything between his ears is pushing in the right direction. like It's no secret that the team has had concerns about his focus, about his motivation, about his work ethic, and I think all those have been fair concerns at this point, and that goes into whether he'll be the best version of himself once his body permits him to be. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, the rest of this top 30, some other notables I want to point out, is the biggest riser on this list since the start of the season, Herar Encarnacion. He started this year repeating double-A Pensacola. That's something that's a red flag for me, is when a player starts one season at a level, spends most of the season at that level, and then repeats it the next year. It just means, I wouldn't say a red flag, I would say it changes the way I interpret their performance. So, Harar last year at Pensacola, he was a slightly below league average hitter. He was a well below average defender at the corner outfield spots and at first base. He's he's a slow runner, and um, uh, he also got hurt during that year as well. The underlying stats were really scary. The spike in his strikeout rate, he, he was striking out more than a third of the time. I think it was 38% of the time in 2021. That's the kind of number that over a considerable sample, um, that's a red flag because it's unlikely for a player to be whiffing that often against 
minor league pitching and to be expecting anything different once they eventually get to the major leagues. Uh, to his credit, he has looked absolutely phenomenal so far this season. He was leading the farm system in home runs prior to his promotion to AAA. And just in the past few days, as I'm recording this, he got home runs in each of his first two AAA Jacksonville games. One of them, a no-doubter to the opposite field. How often do you hear that? It was about 15 rows deep to right field for this right-handed hitter. 2-2. And Encarnacion swings, puts a charge into that one. Back at the track in right field. That one is out of here. The first triple-A home run for Yerar Encarnacion. And Jacksonville's on the board here in the bottom of the eighth inning. And the next day, um, the only offense for Jacksonville on Wednesday was a tank to left field that he pulled. They said the track man estimate was 433 feet. I made a whole highlight reel of him that's available on our YouTube channel of his longest home runs. And if I went back and edited that video now, I'd have to include his most recent one. He does have special power. Um, during his breakout season of 2019, I did liken him to someone like Garrett Cooper. I think there's a lot in common with Cooper um, on all, really every element. He's about that kind of humongous size and has some of the same concerns as well in terms of durability, in terms of defensive fit. And he's on the 40-man roster, so his clock is ticking a little bit as well in terms of when he'll get opportunities. And if those opportunities are not coming in Miami in the near-term future, considering all the veterans, all the veteran right-handed mashers on this roster, then I, uh, this is something that Alex Carver of Fish on the Farm has suggested is exactly um, whether he'd be best used as a trade ship during this summer or at the end of the year because he doesn't have a whole lot left to prove in the minors now that he has bounced back, looking very much like that exciting prospect that he was in 2019. Someone that was unranked in my top 30 coming off the year that he had, and I'm seeing a lot of the things that I loved about him a few years ago to restore that faith in him. In that same area of the list, this is, what, Harar is in Tier 5? Yeah. So the division I have is right after Sixto. Sixto, I have him at the end of the fourth tier, of players, ones who um, right a, close to a 50 future value, just a little bit below. And then, so that next list is other guys that if they were to become average big league regulars, then that's a win. None of these guys beyond the top 12, I think you should be penciling in as starting players. That's just the reality of player development, is that everybody from Joe Mack and Victor Mesa Jr., Yiddy Cape. Zach McCambly on down. Uh, these guys are exciting for a variety of reasons. It's just that as overall players, there are enough obstacles that they have to overcome. In my opinion, this is all my opinion, of course, to be uh, to be stars in the big leagues, to be even like stable starters in the big leagues. We have an Encarnacion at 18. Paul McIntosh, I put him at number 23. The catcher undrafted free agent less than one year ago mashed for low a jupiter really impressed during spring training and got bumped up right to double a pensacola playing against competition his own age and continues to hit really well continues to run surprisingly well for a catcher and defensively behind the plate 
a lot of the results that you're seeing from the Pensacola team speak for themselves. That was a, a team that got off to a relatively slow start. And as I'm talking about them, are in the midst of one of the longest winning streaks in the minors, pitching exceptionally well, not just like prime ticket, prime talent starters like Perez, but also all these relievers that are having career years out of their pen and more often than not throwing to McIntosh. So he's doing really well on all sides of the ball and the way he impacts the ball and hits it to all fields is exciting. You don't see that very often from catchers as well. I think there's a pretty strong chance that he has a big league career and a significant one as well, and one that could start in the relatively near future. Some other guys breaking through, Brian Hoeing, I put him at number 26, made some fascinating adjustments coming off last year. In 2021, he led all Marlins minor leaguers in innings pitched. It's just that the actual effectiveness of those innings wasn't anything to write home about. Got promoted to AA, got off to such an extraordinary start that they moved him to Jacksonville as well. Right now, I think he's a really well-rounded pitcher that has some true rotation upside. At number 28, I went with Josh Simpson. I wanted to make sure to stick him in. He is one of those Pensacola relievers that is having a career year. He is having as good a year as any reliever in minor league baseball, as well as anybody in major league baseball as well. He's been pretty much perfect. He has not allowed a run in 18 and two-thirds innings pitched, he gives me very strong Alex Vessia vibes. Of course, Vessia was dominant across every level of the Marlins minor league system, and shortly after debuting, got traded to the Dodgers. Since then, he has gone on to become a really useful middle reliever for them. It's always tricky to know exactly where to slot relievers in prospect rankings alongside players that you know are going to be on the field, on the mound, a lot more often than, than them. But in my opinion, um, certainly in the back half of a top 30, even in this Marlins farm system, that you can put a reliever there if you feel very confident in what they're going to bring, and that's going to translate to the majors. There's few things that are easier to translate than you know swing and miss relievers in the minors and how they'll do um, in the majors. And I think Simpson... This is sort of come out of nowhere because he was at the Arizona Fall League last year. He was under the microscope and nothing really popped to me there. Clearly something has changed entering the season. It's the fastball command, the slider late break, and the fact that he's getting into all these good counts. He's just as good against righties as he is against lefties. Even though the velocity is not anything that stands out too much. It's the characteristics of that fastball and his, his ability to tunnel those pitches together. That is a simple formula that has worked very often for other relievers. It's the kind of player that the Marlins need on their major league bullpen, a bullpen that do, just doesn't have a whole lot of swing and miss when they absolutely need it. I think you could see him at, in any day now, you could see him moved up to AAA as well. So, and some other relievers that didn't make my top 30, but at least crossed my mind, are Andrew Nardi, another lefty reliever who did get promoted to Jacksonville, and also Anthony Maldonado. I was high on him coming into 2021, and unfortunately, injuries set him back. He is back on track to this point in the season. 
But Simpson is the one that slips in um, into my top 30 at 28. I have George Soriano at 29, 23-year-old right-hander who's been in the organization a long time, just hasn't really had the innings to pile up until last year, and still has some things to iron out with his control as well. So I'm not getting too carried away, but I, you squint and you see a guy that could be a back-end starting pitcher. Rounding out the top 30, I had to make room for infielder slash outfielder slash pure hitter Charles LeBlanc. He falls into that category of guys that he's repeating a level he played the previous year, so you can't take all the stats um, at their word. Otherwise, he'd you know be in the majors right now if we saw a guy... OPSing 1,000 at AAA and getting on base virtually every game, playing all these different positions. Um, if you just look at the raw numbers, then you'd think he'd be even higher on the list. I think this is a fair compromise for a guy who's about to turn 26. He was unprotected by the Rangers in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. It just shows you how low he was regarded by his old organization at that time. It seems it's apparent immediately that the Marlins got a good value with that minor league pick, and I would think it's extremely likely that we do see LeBlanc in the big leagues before the end of the year, depending on what positions open up due to injury and on him sustaining this a little bit. He really does have a great feel for hitting, it seems, and that is surprising considering how often he struck out at this time just a year ago playing at the same level. He's been impressive. He, I need to give him some love here as as a player who could be, I, I don't think he's going to hit home runs in the big leagues, but his versatility is important. We'll see whether he can play shortstop. I was talking to Alex Carver about this. I'm still not convinced that he's a viable defensive shortstop, even in emergency settings, and that's a key ingredient if you're going to be a long-time utility player in the majors. A good value, nonetheless. Uh, some players that dropped out of the top 30, Evan Fitterer, uh, I like his pitch ability. I like a lot about him. He's just not healthy and he's not efficient right now. Jordan Holloway, I still have him as prospects eligible, but he is somebody that is kind of running out of time and running out of opportunities, partially due to injury. Osiris Johnson, still only 21 years old. It's just that he's not producing whatsoever. He's now had three different cracks at low A, and the, he's a bat first player who doesn't have a bat. Uh, even though it feels like he should. It just does not translate to game settings. Troy Johnston, one of the top performers in this minor league system in 2021. He was just a joy to watch at the plate. I was suspect about his power, especially for a guy that's already at the bottom of the defensive spectrum. So far this year, not hitting for power at all. So I think he's just, the ceiling is not high enough to justify him cracking the top 30. And Tanner Allen, super popular draft pick coming out of Mississippi State. He was a college star. He's I, I like watching him hit. I don't see where the power is going to come from. He is smaller than I expected at the plate as well. So we'll wait to see on him. But uh, I have not been wowed by him to match his reputation coming out of Mississippi State. Another update sure to come to this prospect list in just a matter of weeks. Peyton Henry is on the verge of graduating from prospect eligibility by my definition. A couple of these other pitchers, they get called up. Um, Braxton Garrett could because he seems to be closing in on the rehab trail. He's close to graduating from eligibility as well. 
And maybe we see a bold trade for this Marlins team. As much as they would like to incorporate so much of these young players into their actual major league roster, you, you know that's not how it works, especially for a team that has some urgency to be a contending team. They have to use some of these young players in order to solidify their 2022 roster. They might do it. So we could see some shakeups there as well in the very near future. Before I leave you, circling back to my number two prospect, Max Meyer. He had been struggling in each of his last two starts, especially the most recent one, getting knocked around for eight runs, simply not locating any of his pitches the way that we're accustomed to doing and getting hit uncharacteristically hard as a result. As first reported by Jordan McPherson of the Miami Herald, he's going on the minor league injured list with an ulnar nerve irritation He's going to miss at least one start before being reevaluated. Jordan says the organization does not believe it to be a serious injury. That being said, if it is his throwing elbow, that is something to keep an eye on. And you can be pretty sure that they're not going to rush him back to the field. This makes it easier to understand his most recent start where he simply was not throwing the ball like himself. And there was, it would seem to be this physical thing holding him back from doing it. There was no circumstance where he was going to be making, what, like 30 starts this season? It's just there was, even though they stretched him out quite a bit last year, there was still a gap between that and having a legitimate major league starters workload. This was going to be that gap year kind of in between. So I guess what you hope is that this is this is truly, you know, a, a very mild situation and that they're doing this out of an abundance of caution to preserve those endings for later in the year. I've been pretty clear about how I feel about Max being um, major league ready to this point and as a starter. So it was disappointing that he wasn't called up already. And um, I feel bad for him that he goes on the minor league IL instead of collecting major league paychecks uh, on the MLB IL as well. Nonetheless, um, fingers crossed that this isn't serious. And you know, based on these early indications, I have no reason to move him in my rankings one way or another. Uh, just stay patient um, with his recovery, and then as soon as he is back and fully recovered, he's going to once again have a rock-solid case for contributing to this Marlins Major League pitching staff. The Marlins heading into the weekend at 17-20, and 20, hosting the Braves in a muddled uh, National League East division. Finishing up a long homestand, we're going to have all your coverage in the usual places on Fish Stripes. I'll be back on the other side of the weekend with a new official show. Lots of good stuff coming, covering your Marlins team in, in the heart of the major league and the minor league season. So I will be sure to check in more with these minor league pods sporadically throughout the year. And we'll find plenty of written coverage about Marlins minor league affiliates as well on fishstripes.com. Thanks as always for listening. Go fish!